Brockman, whichever you remember or prefer. And um, I work as a media correspondent, journalist, and neuropsychotherapist, LCC. And when I have a little extra free time, I like to do um, public policy reform to help advocate for mental health uh, and wellness. That's so many things. And I love that that's your use of free time. And really glad to have you here. What, Thank you. Uh, what we decided to talk about today is the term survivor. So a couple years ago, uh, the general kind of wellness world stopped saying victim and started saying survivor when it comes to sexual abuse, assault, uh, cases, which we um, all put under the umbrella term maltreatment. Yeah. So a lot of times when people start to help a victim or a survivor for the first time, they feel and some anxiety about saying the wrong thing. Yeah. So we want to talk, I'm just curious what your thoughts are on uh, when to say survivor, what else we can say and why. So what do you think? When, when do we, what do you think about the change from victim to survivor? Yeah. You know, I sit on the leadership roundtable here in Texas for Governor Abbott's um, policy task reform, UTASA, um, which is incredible work um, for both men and women and people of all backgrounds who have been affected by um, assaults, abuse, and specifically sexual assault. <clears throat> and I think that the terms, the terms can be used interchangeably. I think that it is a good thing that we have evolved into thinking about how we use them and why. And I think that the term victim certainly, it removes a, a bit of an aspect of ownership or power around what has happened, but it also, in a way, removes shame or responsibility for what has happened, if that makes sense. That does make sense. So a lot of times people will say, like, what could I have done differently? What could I have said differently? How could I have helped out my friend who had been assaulted? And when we understand that a person has been victimized by something, we very much understand and get that they were a part of a set of multiple circumstances and situations that led to a moment that was completely out of their control. Once we've identified that as a baseline to begin the recovery and the healing process, I think we can begin to sort of shift into survivor because now they're still here standing. Maybe not intact in the way that they had been before, and perhaps they may, their lives and who they are might turn out to be quite different than who they were before these kinds of incidents have occurred. However, the survivor part, I think, also lends itself to a term of empowerment, that you have overcome something, and there's something about, um, it's almost like an honor it's almost like an honor accolade that comes with the survivor. And you've heard that, like survivors of war, survivors of terror, survivors of disaster. It's kind of like, wow, you have weathered something that could have been lethal um, to another person and has been. So that's how I see the two different terms playing out and almost like on a path of wellness and recovery, acknowledging the victim um, space and then starting to move forward from that and seeing what survivor looks like and hopefully from surviving to thriving. Thank you. Yeah, I, you're welcome. That tracks with my personal experience and with the experience of mm -hmm. other people. So right now, oh. years into my healing process, I would say, and I count, I would say the start of my healing process was when I first got a therapist, which was about mm -hmm. nine years. 
when I was 19 or 20. Yeah. I say survivor. I say I'm a survivor. But when I first identified as a victim, it actually was two years after mm. I started going to therapy. Wow. Or maybe a year after, just it wasn't, I got the help and then I started to use the label. Yeah. I said victim. And it was really important to use the word victim. Yeah. I needed to grieve, especially because between the last time that I was harmed and when I got to that therapist was a good seven mm -hmm. year period. Mm -hmm. So much time saying nothing happened to me. This isn't that bad. This isn't what it was. Something's just wrong. Minimalizing. Mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. a lot to hear you saying we, you have to acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. since now go ahead. go ahead no i was just gonna say because in, in order for us to determine where we would rather go we first have to be able to accept honor honor acknowledge embrace and own where we are mm. you know and sometimes i think when we skip the process or we skip steps in our healing um we also inhibit the full healing process because we're wanting to rush to the next step and it's just like if you go into an er First, you have triage, and then you may have to go to critical care. You may need surgery, or you may need follow-up care or referrals. Um, it's okay to take that journey and those process and to begin to evolve in the terminology that you use to describe yourself. But most importantly, remembering, no matter who it is that's listening to this or watching this, that, you, that who you are, who, your who is so much bigger than what you have experienced and what you've been through. So for every label that we can assign, it's still not who you are who you are, I think, and I believe is really divine. It's pure potential. And overcoming those things that we've experienced on some level or growing from them is the work that we have here on the planet. I love that. And especially, I, I love looking for empathy points between yeah. survivors or for a more general term, we can say those who've experienced sexual trauma or sexual violence. So between those who've experienced sexual violence and those who have not, so yeah. The best practices that help survive uh, people who've experienced sexual violence is just helpful. They're just helpful for people, for anyone. for humanity, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good call, and I think that's um, you know because we, for 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 some reason in in our in our global collective as well as in this country, in the United States, you know. The ideas around violence and ideas around sex um, and having that discussion, although it's something that we interface with at some level every single day, it's like we have this sort of distancing from it. And so, so when you want to talk about both at one time, sexual violence, it's like, whoa, 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 you know, pump the brakes on this train. But just because we distance ourselves from it, it doesn't make, it doesn't make it go away. So I think that if we can lean into it and begin to have some more productive conversations around it. And as you said, just basic conversations and basic language on relating to people as a whole, I think that we'll probably see somewhat of a reduction in the incidence in sexual violence and also better outcomes for those recovering from it, as well as for um, potential um, offenders in all honesty, if, if these things can be discussed in an open forum so that we can better deal and heal. Absolutely. I, so when we, as the Isabel community and as the Isabel leaders who are running these online platforms and live events, when we say survivor, that's largely because we're created by me. 
And we are, we're a program that's created, one of our taglines is we're created by a survivor for supporters of survivors. So I see we, there will be survivors watching this video and we welcome you, uh, whatever term you choose. But my goal is to talk to people who have not experienced this and who want to be supportive. Yeah. And for those people, the question of when should you use survivor or when should you use victim is very subjective. And when we start advocacy work, we want a quick answer so that we know that we're doing it right. But it, it, that quick answer of there's one word we use all the time, mm -hmm. it doesn't really ring true. Right. Right. It's so true. There's a list of cognitive distortions that I often talk about in my work and in my book that I'm finishing. And one of them is all or nothing thinking. Mm. So in other words, it doesn't have to be either or. It can be both and. Like a person can, can have been victimized by sexual assault and they can also have survived <laughs> the repercussions of that and that incident itself. And so I think it's, it's, it's completely appropriate to say I'm not I'm not always exactly sure exactly what to say, but I will tell you that I'm here in it with you. I will tell you that I'm present and my presence hopefully can do more and speak volumes more than anything else. And I'm so sorry that you were victimized, you know, in the situation. And I, and, and my heart goes out to you that you've had to survive this. And that's a way to use the interplay of both terms because more important than the trauma itself research tells us is um, the immediate response after a traumatic event occurs. So more important than the horrific trauma, trauma that someone might live through is how that community of care shows up for them. So that's why the Isabel work is so important because the effects of trauma can be multi-generational and studies show us that they can last up to five generations. So for those of you that are listening and wanting to figure out ways to be um, supporters, we're often wounded in community, so we heal in community. So thank you for being a part of the community to help heal. Ooh, that is deep and insightful and helpful. Yeah. And I want to pivot the conversation um, to the conversation we had on Instagram. And you are all welcome to follow. Uh, I'll put in the uh, caption uh, JROC's Instagram information as well as mine and the Isabel contact. Uh, JROC made a post about toxic positivity. And we started a conversation about this conversation that we knew we would have in a couple of weeks. So I think that if uh, a person who's experienced mm -hmm. violence told me I'm a victim and I said, call yourself a survivor because that's more positive, that would be an ex example possibly of toxic positivity. Could you talk mm -hmm. a little more? that for us? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's kind of important that we start to move away from telling people what they should be thinking and should be feeling and how they should be <laughs> expressing themselves. I think that model is, has run its course over the last something centuries or so. And so <laughs> I, I really think that, you know, part of what happens in trauma is that people feel that their power has been removed. I work with um, patients who were survivors of um, natural disasters, for example. So when we sit down and we start our session, instead of saying, okay, this is what we're going to do today. This is my agenda for you. And here's a bottle of water. 
it's like, would you like tea, coffee, or water? So that's giving them a choice, right? It's just small little things to begin to heal. Um, is there anything that you'd like to talk about before we start? I see your treatment planning in this way, but here are two options that we can delve into to begin today. So giving options. So again, you can say to a person, um, you know, how would you like me to refer to this? You know, how would you, would you like me to call it the incident or call it the assault or that day? Um, would you prefer that I didn't use that person or that organization's name? Do you prefer the term, you know, do you prefer to be referred to in a situation as victim or um, survivor? And I think that that takes some self-awareness on our part though, because we have to get comfortable with our own places of discomfort in our own life to be able to sit and share space with somebody like that. And that's part of why we are toxically positive sometimes. It's like, okay, let's just brush it all away. You know, let's just throw a hymn on it or a scripture or um, a Torah passage or Quran passage or a, an African proverb or a positive quote from the constitutional history of this country. Anything except for having this conversation. So we've got to get comfortable with that. But just know this, the goal of trauma-informed care is not to stay in the trauma for the rest of your life. It's so that you can get to the good part, that you can heal in a way that's holistic. So sometimes people feel like, gosh, if we start talking about this, they're going to identify and that's all they're going to want to do. And that's forever and ever. Grief is a process. And when the earth is cleansing itself in the winter months, we're not like, hurry up with the winter. We let it do its thing to rebalance. It's the same way for um, survivors and victims that are healing. And for those that are supporting and get that you might be vicariously traumatized just by, by talking about these things. I get it. And it may bring up your own stuff. And great. It's another invitation for you to delve into more healing and um, more authenticity and to reach out maybe for your own support. Definitely. You have, uh, you have this great ability to list off all of You just listed like 10 good things that we use defensively or to cover up something. And I feel like you covered every possible thing that could be right. in a right. way. And I, I'm so impressed by that. And thank I think you. That, that will resonate with a lot of our supporters. Thank and you. Definitely. And I think that when I say that I'm talking to supporters of survivors, I think everyone is a supporter of a survivor. Just yeah. Some of them don't know, and yeah. some of them are doing it poorly. Yeah. So we do use a lot of verbiage welcoming people to a community, saying, become a supporter. But really, <laughs> I just want to scream, you're all doing this badly, but you're still doing it. Because if you are providing an income, a job for a survivor, then you're being a supporter in some way. If you're related and you give them a place to live, so yeah that's true that's true it's kind of re-examining what allyship looks like and it's okay to call um rain which is a national hotline to say look i know someone who has been affected by sexual assault and i have no idea what to say or to call the national domestic violence hotline and talk about what are some resources or some books or some podcasts i can get because i'm stumped here i've been ignorant i've been silent but i think my silence has been harmful or be abusive in some way, or to go onto the Isabel Instagram, or to listen to the Isabel soundtrack, or to follow work. So we can educate ourselves. We have neuroplasticity, which means that our brain has the ability to expand and grow. And so even if you don't know, it's okay not to know. And it's okay to let go of enough ego to say, 
I actually don't know. But again, I'm here because one of the things that I think survivors fear the most is being isolated, being stigmatized and being left behind. So just let them know you're here and then have some corresponding action. Like, you know, check up on them every couple of days just because. <laughs> yeah. I think that that's great advice. And that example you gave earlier where you uh, were role modeling, we were kind of role playing a supporter and you used the word victim and you used the word survivor. And I believe you said, I'm sorry that you've been victimized and I'm so glad that you survived this or something. Am I remembering that? Yeah, you are. Yeah. It's an interplay on both terms. It gives space for both. That, that is a great litmus test for setting up a, for seeing how people react. Because if the person who's been harmed, they could choose to expand on one of those points and then have a conversation of holding responsibility for your own words of, I said both of those words. Do you have a preference? Yeah. If they don't have a preference, then that's okay. (laughs) That's okay. Yeah. And it's okay to say, you know, how can I be here for you right now? And if they say, I don't know, then you can ask some simple questions like kind of Maslow's basic hierarchy of needs. Like, you know, have you eaten today? Have you hydrated? Are you sleeping? Um, do, you, would, do you need, you know, a, a safe friend to text from time to time, maybe in the evening or while you're working, you don't have anyone, anyone to reach out to. So you can offer support in different ways. And it's not up to you to help heal the person. Mm-hmm. Um, it's up to us, I think, to walk alongside each other as we're figuring that process out. And that's kind of the beauty of humanity, that we can walk alongside each other while we're unpacking our own bags and doing our own work and then do some of our own work in that process while we're walking alongside and supporting. Uh, I think that's very inspiring. And now I have the song healing in my head. I could almost break out and sing it right now. And you know that because I've been (laughs) listening to it and practicing. Yeah. What's the healing that can happen? Is it an I am not alone? And I am not alone. Yeah. Dope song. Dope song. The world needs that song right now, Anna. <laughs> I'm so I'm so glad. And that's actually the first time first time that I've heard your voice. I know. I love it. And Thank I, you. And that's your half singing over Zoom voice. I can't wait to hear your yeah. voice. I know, yeah, you've only heard my researcher clinical correspondent, so on and so forth, but know that um, the music is another another really therapeutic way. And I think, you know, for that matter, you know, supporters, I, I feel like if supporters took a moment to listen to the soundtrack, I think it would give them a lot of clues on what to do next and how to show up for folks. So, you know, sometimes the conversation's a little difficult, but we can absorb things through music and through arts and entertainment or edutainment, as I like to call it, in a way that might be too much for our nervous system, just in a, you know, in a dialogue or in a book. So, you know, check out the soundtrack and what you don't understand. Like, it's okay. Be okay with that. You'll get something. It's one process at a time. Thanks. I, I wrote that soundtrack. And for those of you who haven't met me, I, I started writing those songs in 2012. So as soon as I saying I'm a victim I was writing that music and some of those songs took seven years to finish and some of them were done in a day 
and I ruminated over how much it hurt to be abused over a long period of time and I just captured all that music and having other people record the songs and then now it's online and I don't ever have to sing any of that again if I don't want to because it's on the internet and other people cover it or other people were going to involve uh, J-Rock in singing one of those songs yeah. in the near future and it's it really is like a catharsis and a release and yeah. I do encourage if you would like to know how a the person in your life who's been harmed might be feeling and you don't yeah. want to harm them by asking then you can you can listen to this album because it doesn't do any harm to me that's not it's just pre-recorded stuff and it's yeah. other it and it's already out there in the world yeah right there and yeah I yeah. agree I agree. Healing, it can happen. It can happen. So you can heal. <laughs> that's, that's our motto. You can heal. Uh -huh. uh -huh. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining us for the Isabel Baggage Claim. You are so welcome. Good to be here. Well, I'll talk to you soon, okay? All right. Looking forward to it. Bye.